Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's a co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. Check out the T Public Store link. Check out the Patreon link. One tier, $2 a month. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. The blog section, the directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? Oh, 626,000. Sounds about right to me. The classified section, where you can find friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The music section, where you can check out Brian Wolf's Shout at the Robots, and so many more. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this entertainment edition, we have to recap a show that debuted last week. That a lot of fans have been eagerly anticipating. Mm-hmm. The buzz has been there because anytime you say MCU, you're going to draw pop culture out. Yeah. You're going to get them to really stop what they're doing. You're going to get them to pay attention. And obviously, with the return of one certain character, a lot of fans have been eagerly counting down the days till we see what the big mystery is behind the latest addition to the MCU family. Howard the Duck? I wish. <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, we last time we saw him, Guardians of the Galaxy. This so is true. He does find a way in. And ironically, he would appear in the comic series of this Ooh. from time to time. There's kind of Segway. Like, there's always like a little bit of a running joke, so to speak, if you ever catch the story about the series we're going to be talking about. And, Pad, what are we talking about? We are talking about the television adaptation of Marvel's seminal comic story, Secret Invasion. Yes. The interesting crossover event that happened a few years back in Marvel Comics Mm -hmm. has now been adapted to the MCU. And if you've been watching a lot of the films, and let's face it, we all have, they've been setting this up very, very nicely and changed around a couple of key players from the comic to here. Right. But this show is centered around the return of one Nicholas J. Fury, otherwise known as Samuel L. Jackson, Mm -hmm. and is the story about where he's been since the blip happened And now, what is going on that's causing chaos all over the world? Mm -hmm. So, like we say on the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do a spoiler-free segment to say what we need to say about the show. So, if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled, we completely get it. We don't want to ruin anything for you. But then we give you a countdown. After said countdown, it is fair game. You can duck out and jump back in so you don't have anything ruined. Or if you've already seen the show, you can definitely hear our our full deep-dive feedback about this. So that being said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement about episode one of Secret Invasion. Well, the thing for first I got to say is for those of you going in expecting this to be like a one-to-one adaptation of the comic book series, maybe set that expectation aside. Yeah. Because I know it was reported on either the day this came out or in the days after that 
all parties involved with like the production of the show and the directing of the show and the writing of the show were specifically told by the powers that be at Marvel. So I'm guessing Kevin Feige and probably some other ones Mm -hmm. don't read the comic book when you go to make this show. So I'm not saying take the story, crumple it up and throw it out the window, but set it aside a little bit. I think for some folks, you know, because you know how some folks are when they do an adaptation of things. If it's not a one to one adaptation, they get all sorts of pissy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the story, as as someone who has said before, and I've yet to put it down, but I, so I got to do that someday. Captain America, the Winter Soldier is one of my favorite Marvel movies of all time. It's my number one. I, I got to put pen to paper in, in order. Maybe I'll do that on Letterboxd, you know, some point the next couple of weeks, you know, but it, it's it's easily in my top three MCU movies of all time. And good God, do you get that vibe and that feel from the first five minutes of this episode when the, when it starts mm-hmm. that we that like your teeth haven't really dug into the meal that like we're arguably still on the salad or maybe the appetizer that like the, the full course ain't even here yet. You know, we we still got, you know, a bunch left of the dinner to get. And this is already like the best thing I've ever seen, you know, from Marvel on television. No disrespect to any of the other series they've done. I've enjoyed them all immensely. But with Falcon, not Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier being such a great movie and one that I've seen countless times because, listen, I'm a James Bond fan. I love spy. I love espionage. Sure. Stories and movies and shows, you know, especially with like Jack Ryan and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anytime I can get more of that, I'm here for it. And that's exactly what this is. And I love it. The one thing I will agree with you about is they play heavy into the espionage side of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And that is something I also gravitate towards, too. When Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie of all time. I love the Ed Brubaker story. I, and for what they did bringing back a character such as Bucky Barnes, who was thought to be on that permanently dead list and made him into such a compelling character, mm-hmm. is just kudos to the writing. And it does translate from comic to film. Right. And like you touched upon, if you've ever read the Secret Invasion comic series from Marvel by Brian Michael Bendis and Leon Francis Yu, this is not the same thing. They're borrowing a lot of elements for the show. Right. But what you get is the same kind of espionage show that you want to see whenever you hear S.H.I.E.L.D. or Nick Fury involved. Mm-hmm. And this plays right into that factor it really emphasizes that there is a lot of moving parts going on. And for what we got with this show, I thought they did a good job about setup. There wasn't a lot happening, per no. se. Not it, for the first half, I'd say. Yeah. They do a lot of character building. So it will not wow you in that aspect, but we're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the long play. We have to remember that. Because if you come in thinking that it's going to be all guns blazing, Avengers everywhere. Right. No, that's not happening. Well, and the thing, too, is they've got to reestablish Fury because some folks might go, well, we've seen him in the last five years. Okay, that was a flashback movie mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. That was Captain Marvel, and we that was set in the 90s. We haven't seen the present day, you know, current timeline version of Fury since what? Age of Ultron, maybe? It's been a while. Well, he disappeared technically after Winter Soldier. Right. He did, he disappeared. He showed up for Age of Ultron. 
Right, and he made that quick cameo in Captain Marvel sending the beeper message out to go get made Carol the Devers. Quick cameo for that, and then also made the quick cameo, literally a shot in Endgame. Right. So other than that, he has been working in the shadows, mm-hmm. which is typical Shield protocol. Yeah, that's like, Fury. That's Fury to the letter. So now seeing where he's at now, and there's been a lot to digest of what has been going on. If you really think about it, right. This has been an interesting reintroduction. Right, because the other thing, too, is he disappeared, mm-hmm. hadn't seen him, and then there was the bonus scene at what, whatever the end of what, whatever movie it was, where it was him in outer space on the satellite with building Saber. Right. Yeah, so there is a lot of question marks to be had, and especially with the reintroduction. There's a lot of points in between where we saw him and where he is, and obviously some of those, those holes are going to get filled, mm-hmm. but... It, that's why it's such a slow burn at the beginning is, hey, we haven't seen some of these characters in a hot minute. We can't go in at like 90 miles an hour. Right. And I think for a lot of fans, some of the online reaction I saw was disappointed in that. Sure, which I understand. Which I understand, too. But you have to take it in this context. We're talking spies. We're talking yeah. espionage. Yeah. We are talking on a very different scale. James Bond. Yeah. And if you ever watch programming involving that type of genre, mm-hmm. it's never one and done usually. No, they don't go to one building, hack into one computer, get all the answers, and all right, we got everything we need. We need to go stop the bad guy. Correct. So taking that into consideration, I thought they did fine for the introduction episode. Yeah. It took a while to get going, though. That's the only drawback I have about it. Sure. I don't, yeah, a little bit for me, too. But. It didn't take away from where we left things off because I thought they ended things with a very loud exclamation point. Yeah, they did. And going into the next episode, we're going to have a lot more questions that we're hopefully going to get some starts of answers to. It's only six episodes, so they don't exactly have a lot of time to play with. Right, but for where they're trying to go with, I think we're going to start getting some. I don't think they're revealing everything just yet. No, no. And I think for where they could be going after the series, there's going to be a lot of stuff up in the air. Yeah. But that being said, let us get into the spoiler talk. So, Pad, in three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, the episode, I enjoyed the episode thoroughly. You know, I, I love spy stuff. I love espionage. You know, so this was this was right in my wheelhouse, and I loved it from start to finish. Shocked at the ending, to say the least, especially since, uh, you know, there was the story from the actress uh, involved at the ending that was like had the quote of, oh, we've never had a chance to explore the character this deeply. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And then given how it ends, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You, you know, but no, the episode was great. I really liked how they set things up. And this was very different than the comic story. And you know me, I'm very much to the letter. I love seeing adaptations tightly follow the stories if they're a mm-hmm. great story. Yeah. Secret Invasion, the comic, I thought started great. I don't think it finished great. Sure. Because a lot of moving parts in that storyline, too. But, I, but yeah. I'm going to save that for another time. But for what we got here, I thought they delivered on establishing that Fury is not the same Fury that we have all known. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say the word broken, but he's definitely fractured. He's rattled. Yeah. And I, and rightfully so, because one thing that they dived into a little more heavy than I thought they were going to do was his reaction coming back from the blip. Yeah. 
and how much that played into his psyche. Mm-hmm. And I love that they went there. Yeah. Because we haven't really seen that in a lot of the MCU to this level. Right. That it's been, yeah, it happened. And a lot of times we as comic fans go, okay, we've seen this happen a million times. Like somebody gets killed off and then they come right. back and we just kind of chalk it up to what pad? Reasons. In this situation, I think it's going to be a factor of his character moving yeah. forward. Well, and I think also it's it's an outside perspective from the Avengers just because the only time we've seen these heroes react negatively is Endgame. Mm-hmm. Where, where every movie, sure, there's that inevitable point in all the movies where like they seem really down and out. How the hell are they going to overcome these obstacles and these, you know, adversities? And they pull they pull their bootstraps up and they find a way and they dig deep and they overcome the circumstances and they win the day. Yeah. The only time we've really seen them react negatively is, like I said, Endgame. So you've got a Fury who, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'd say the Captain Marvel, the way that story went was a success for him. Mm hmm. And then it was some successes or whatever else that happened in the meantime, in between time, between that and the first Iron Man movie. Mm -hmm. And then things went relatively well. Sure, half of New York got destroyed and the damage was in the billions or dollars or whatever. But hey, you know what? Earth is still here. Yeah. And then you get to Age of Ultron where, okay, yeah, sure, you know, part of or an entire country got dropped from near terminal velocity and, and almost killed a lot of people. But you know what? A lot of damage done, still save the day. And you can go through all the movies and all the circumstances mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it wasn't until Infinity War that we went, fuck. Yeah. And he wasn't there for that. And we didn't see his reaction to it because we saw him disappear. And then obviously they brought everybody back and he was there for the funeral of Tony Stark. But we haven't seen him since then. Mm-hmm. O- outside the one cameo appearance. And let's face it, he was treating that like a like a. Uh, vacation, you know, sitting up in space in his lounge chair reading a book or something. Yeah, we don't know what his reaction is. So this is the guy that, like, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he even says it in the in the episode that like his midlife crisis was he built the Avengers, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, oh, I built Earth's mightiest heroes. I put together the A team. Yeah, I put together the number one go to crew when shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. and they failed. And so by proxy, he feels like he failed. Yeah, and obviously with the events that are unfolding here. It's on him, too, as well. Yeah. yeah. Because where we kick things off is Moscow is the center base for what is taking place. Mm -hmm. And we do see a familiar face to the MCU. Yeah. Everett K. Ross, played by Martin Freeman. Yep. And he's meeting up with an operative that is Agent Prescott. Uh, Yeah, he works for the CIA. And Prescott has all this information about a possible invasion from Scrolls. Reminded me a lot of the Charlie Day meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same kind of vibe, too. And as he's relaying this to Ross, Ross is brushing it off. Yeah, he's almost like, you're fucking crazy, my guy. Mm-hmm. Because Ross's character is kind of like that. I know he's thrusted into the superhero right. world when, when we've seen him in the comics. Right. So he's not exactly somebody that believes all this, even mm-hmm. though he is in this world. Mm-hmm. So he is more or less leaning of like, okay, well, you know what? I'll take your information and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Prescott is that paranoid mm-hmm. that he doesn't even trust him after he's told him. Yeah. So a fight breaks out. Mm-hmm. Prescott is trying to choke Ross out with some wire. Mm-hmm. Ross winds up shooting him and killing him. Yep. So as he's escaping through the streets of Moscow, there is somebody chasing him. Mm-hmm. 
And we don't know who this person is at the time. Nope. But you see that Ross is trying to work out a rendezvous with who, Pad? Maria Hill. Yep. So Kobe's mother's back in the role. Yep. And you're seeing that they're trying to work out what is going on, that we have this intel, we got to do something with it. And as we see, there's a chase on, like, rooftops. Yeah, it's it's kind of like your typical Bond opening. Yeah. You know, intrigue, mystery, followed by an action sequence. Yeah, so it plays right into that James Bond style, which I loved. Yeah. I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be interesting. So once he falls off the roof, Mm -hmm. we see that he's in the street. Maria Hill is coming up. Yep. And we see this mysterious stranger appear to... Mm-hmm. And Maria's yelling at him, you know, get your hands up. Uh-huh. And then we find and she's, him. And she's saying it in Russian because she has, they're in the middle of Moscow. She has no idea who this is. So by default, oh, it must be somebody who's Russian. Yeah. So Smolders is, you're playing this part very well because yeah. she doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, we find out who the mysterious stranger chasing Ross is. Mm-hmm. Pad, who is it? It is Talos. Yep. Played by Ben Mendesall. So we see the reemergence of Fury's partner from Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out what is going on. But what we see is Ross in the street mm-hmm. who doesn't survive. Uh, he's he's dead. He's dead. He gets shot in the head, and then slowly the skin starts to change. Yeah, and it turns a shade of green, and his ears get all pointy. He's a scroll. Yep. So right from there, they go to the beginning credits which has got me wondering all right how fucking long was this dude a scroll dude's been around a while well that's the whole question that they they're setting up which i love how they're doing this and they didn't answer yeah and nor should they although i don't even think they even asked so eh. no because the one play that the storyline worked in the comics at the time was how long have the scrolls been on earth right and creating that sense of fear and paranoia right and I know in the comics, when we saw it was Elektra who was revealed to be a scroll, mm-hmm. and then that's what kicked off everything in the new Avengers storyline. Where we see this in the same vein, almost like a mirror image with Ross and what he's involved with the Shield and the politics of the U.S. Right, because I think at this point Hill knows something's going on. Because why else would she be there? Why else would she be running around trying to figure this stuff out? And obviously, as we find out later, Talos knows what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of he hadn't had ex- exactly had time to get a hold of the powers that be, you know, to let him know, hey, shit's going sideways. Yes. So after this event, and I, I will ag- agree with a lot of the Internet, I was not a fan of the opening credits. That's all right. Yeah, it is what it is. It's all right. But it's not a point we need to dive into. No. We see that Hill calls one. Nicholas J. Fury mm-hmm. and says like, hey, we need you to come back to Earth. Yeah, we got an issue. Yeah, because he has been in Saber, the mm-hmm. floating space station. Yep. So a playoff sword from the comics. Mm-hmm. And he has been there since the blip. Right. And that we find out later in the episode, the president is aware of mm-hmm. Saber and is aware of what's going on in space in hell. It's not said, but it's kind of implied he might have appointed Fury to go head this project. Well, I think you have to take this in perspective. Every single major enemy that has come across the Avengers, mm-hmm. for the most part, Ultron maybe being the the exception, yeah, has been from outer space. So far, yeah, yeah, you know. So you you would think that if the powers that be are very open-minded to defending this oh sure yeah putting somebody in space is probably the best play they can make oh sure so seeing this happen is not that too far of a reach Mm -hmm. but as we see fury has been gone such a long time that 
he is still adjusting to what has happened because, mm-hmm. like we said, he's been gone since the blip. He finally returns to Earth. He has a very cool meeting with Talos. Yeah. So they're catching ba- back up. Yeah. And the news he hears is not great. He hears from Talos that, well, since you've been gone, the relationship that has been built between Skrull and human has deteriorated. Well, because you got to figure, you know, it's been at this point, because I'm not going to sit here and try to figure out when this show actually takes place because five years and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Let's just say for all intents and purposes and for making it easy on ourselves, that's taking place in 2023. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's been probably about 30 years now since, you know, give or take, since Fury and and Captain Marvel made the promise to the Skrulls, hey, we're going to find you a new home world. And I think even Talos brings it up to a certain degree in the episode that like, or somebody brings it up. I can't remember who. They're like, hey, yeah, Fury and Captain Marvel made this promise all those years ago that they're going to find us a planet. And, well, here we are all this time later, and we've yet to hear anything about it. Yeah. Because- so you got to figure. Some people are like, yeah, whatever. I got a place to live. I'm, I'm not upset about it. I'm happy I just got a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who are like at the other end of the spectrum that are like, yo, fuck this guy and his empty promises. Well, you have to think about it. At that time, when the Skrulls first debuted, obviously the 90s, right? it's a different time period. Sure. Where now, there is a very distinct feeling amongst the humans on planet yeah. that half of us disappeared yeah, because some alien snapped his fingers. Mm-hmm. So there is understandable tension. Sure. And I'm sure the Skrulls are sitting here going, okay, well, our one ally that was giving us all these promises is now gone because mm-hmm. he's living in his apartment in space. Right. So what are we going to do now? And then he disappeared for five years. Right, because once they disappeared, and I believe that this was set five years after the blip, so he's been back for three and, and such. Give or take, yeah. With that amount of time and just growing resentment from people that you had mm-hmm. promises with, you're going to expect problems. And you do see that this plays out because they do mention one said person, and that is Gravik, uh-huh. who's played by Kingsley Ben Alder. Uh-huh. And you can see that for being a former ally, he is now an adversary to what Fury and Talos were doing. He's on the side of, uh, yeah, oh, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's literally kicked Talos out of the Skrull Council. Uh-huh. So any diplomacy that was going on here yeah. is gone. Oh, yeah. So all the, all the niceties and all the you know, formalities that come with the politicalness of, of the council are out the window at this point. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to Ben Mendelsohn here too because obviously with a lot of shape-shifting that was going on, he still was conveying the emotion of what oh, was going on. Oh, he's such a great actor. Oh, yeah, and he and he dived into it because he mentions about he lost his wife yeah. and, and his daughter is now estranged from him and yeah. that's how Gravik has taken over and now yeah. what they're planning on doing and Fury is like, okay, I'm here, let me see what I can do and trying to make right a wrong right, as much as he humanly can. So as he leaves here, he is walking through the streets of Moscow, and he is coming across a few people that we can't tell if they are scrolls or not. Because mm-hmm. we see a couple sitting on a park bench. They we look see... like they're kissing, and the and the girl looks at him, kind of like this weird look on her face. Yeah. And then we see a child with a beach ball yeah. at one point. which was, In the middle or, of the night. Yeah, which was kind of a weird image to begin with. Well, and even Talos says to him, like, you're going to walk on the sh- you are going to walk on the streets of Moscow at night. And then he pauses and he's like, you're nuts. Yeah, because he knows 
there is more going on with the scrolls than anybody knows yet. He just doesn't know what is there too. It's already one of those cities that like you don't want to walk alone on any time of day. Yeah. Let alone when there's fucking scrolls in town. Yeah. So like I say, there's heightened just anxiety all over the place. Yeah. Fury does wind up getting kidnapped. Yep. But it's not by scrolls. Mm-hmm. Pat, who is it by? Uh it is from by his old acquaintance, Sonia Fallsworth. Yes, who's an M MI six agent. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely tell that there is a frenemy vibe going on here. Yeah, there is. But even before the uh, sack gets taken off his head where she's like, "Ooh, is it going to be this person or that person? I hope it's the singer. I want to hear that song. Yeah. Olivia Coleman, who played uh, Sonia, did a great job with it. She this. was awesome. Yeah. And just was really being that whole frenemy thing. So mm-hmm. we know Fury is, knows pretty much everybody on the planet, so to speak. Yep. Seeing how their back and forth was going on was a very cool moment. And he is saying, okay, listen, I know something's going on. I know that somebody named Gravik is responsible mm-hmm. to kind of put it mildly. Because I, I believe they, they mentioned he knew who he was, but I couldn't really tell. Right. Just with the delivery. Right. And she is saying, well, you know what? Stay out of my way. I'm going to handle this. Well, and she's also almost ready to put him out to pasture because she's like, there's no way my guy should have caught you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, listen, I was being kind. I really wanted to meet you, but you're kind of hard to track down. And, and she's like, oh, did you hear that, guys? He gave you a compliment. That like it's it's again that kind of frenemy thing going back and forth that it, it sounds like, you know, and I think even Fury mentions this later to Talos and Maria Hill that like because I, I, I don't think they know who she is. Maria might have heard the name, but she might not be intimately familiar with with uh, Sonia mm-hmm. that Fury says later in the episode that he's like, listen, she hears an, a, a single utterance of the word scroll and she's going to go scorched earth and, and raise everything. Mm-hmm. So she she's being set up as a person not to trifle with. Exactly. And I love how they set that up because you can definitely see that Fury is going to try not only having an adversary from space, mm-hmm. he has an adversary from home here too. So it's a cool setup that they're doing. Meanwhile, we get a little bit of a dip inside the behind the scenes of what the scrolls are doing. Mm-hmm. Because we do get introduced to a character, Gia, who's played by... The one and only Amelia Clark. Yeah, the mother of dragons. Yes. So the daughter of Talos is now working with this new Skrull army mm-hmm. with Gravik and is introducing somebody that comes to the camp. Yeah, the, the camp is set up as this. It's a refuge for Skrulls. That it, it's this place where they grow Skrull food and, and it's all the stuff Skrulls like. And that you can come and live here. Mm. But the caveat is once you're here, unless you choose to fight, you can't leave. Right. Because only warriors can fight. So there's some people who are just living there because, hey, it's a slice of home. I'm happy to have a roof over my head. But again, it's that other side of the spectrum where it's like, yo, fuck these guys. Yeah. So we do see that they're taking this recruit around. Uh, Beto, I believe it is. Uh, I believe so, yeah. Who's played by Samuel Adewumi. Mm-hmm. And he's getting the once over of what is going on here. So he does kind of come into contact with Gravik and his second in command, Pagan, who's played by Killian Scott. And they kind of see what is playing out here with the rest of the world. And they're getting people trained. And you can see what they're doing with their lair, so to speak. Because mm-hmm. this is the only thing I'd describe me. It just it felt like their train their danger room so to speak kind of in in a way and just where they were conducting experiments to continue their invasion mm-hmm. and one of which was putting a human in a tube uh-huh 
well, at one point, but we also saw it was an open-air one. Mm-hmm. And we saw the scroll touch the forehead of said human. There was a little Easter egg in this scene, too, if you, if you caught it. So when they first show the hallway and they first show those pods with, like, the currents of electricity getting shocked into the heads, I didn't catch it my first viewing, but I saw somebody point it out online, caught it the second time. If you watch on the right-hand side of the screen, one of the folks uh, we, we spot in one of those pods curator of the museum from moon Knight. oh uh-huh interesting but, I, yeah the, the, one of the museum the museum worker uh dude from moon Knight is on the right hand side of those pods when we first see him and, and the camera's going down the hallway Ooh, i like that yeah that's that's so cool... at some point maybe now maybe when moon Knight was going on uh that dude was a scroll it would be interesting to see it, as this series goes on how far they go back with i would like it sleeper agents I mean, I could imagine somebody was around Stark Enterprises. Oh, you have to figure. Yeah, way back when, when Tony was first becoming Iron Man. But as we see, we get a little peek inside the transformation process of how they're having sleeper agents. Because when the mind is transferred, because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you can shape shift, but, right. but the memories are a whole different thing. So we do get that insight of what's going on here. Right. And it's all playing into Gravik's big plan that he has in mind. Well, and the one thing that gets explained by Gaia is that the longer you are the person you're impersonating, the harder it becomes for both humans and scrolls to tell which you are. Are you a human or are you a scroll in disguise? Mm-hmm. So that's going to play a big factor later, which I do have a theory already, okay. which I'll get to at the end. Okay. Meanwhile, we do have a quick shot of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. We do see that the President Ritson, played by Dermot Mulroney, mm-hmm. is meeting with an advisor that we are all familiar with. Yeah. And, Pat, who is that? Uh, that is Colonel James Rohde, a.k.a. War Machine, uh, who is an officer, obviously, in the U.S. Air Force, but he's also an Avenger. Yep, Don Cheadle reprising the role, and they're getting caught up to speed about what is going on, that Fury has been with Saber. He has not been in the loop about everything going on. They mention about the terrorist group. Well, no, I think the president's aware, but just the president being such a busy person as he is, isn't aware at that moment that Fury has left because mm. Cheadle goes up to him and says, hey, just to make just so you're aware, Fury's not on Sabre. And the president, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't exactly remember exactly what he said, sure. but, he go, but he goes, what do you mean he's not on Sabre? He's supposed to be up there building. He goes, yeah, no, we looked. He, he's not up there. If something brought him down to Earth and it's not just that, and that something isn't just anything. It's got to be something big. Yeah. So they do set that up, and they're also talking about the terrorist group that is going on, too. Right. Because now this is when it comes to fruition about what the plan is going on, yep. that there is a group called Americans Against Russia. Yeah. I really don't like the name of that group. It's It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Yeah. I, I figured they could have took a deep dive into one of the other Marvel groups yeah. and done something yeah. with. I mean, it rolls off the tongue, and it's just a simple name for that I'm sure won't mean anything past this first episode. Yeah. Because we do get a shift back to Fury, mm-hmm. who has already left a camera inside Sonya's office. Yeah, you see it when he first gets the bag taken off his head and he starts wandering around. And it's I think it's right before she says, oh, make yourself at home. There's like a statue of an owl or some sort of bird in the room. And you do see him quickly put a listening device or a camera or something on the eye of said bird. Mm-hmm. And then we see Fury is now getting back to work. They do catch up with another rebel, mm-hmm. Vastly. And it does not go well. And this is kind of where you can see the frustration of Fury that he's not the same old Fury. Right. 
because once he can't get the interrogation going, uh, he winds up actually killing him. Yeah, which not ideal. No. And I think it's just leading into the more paranoia creeping in. Right. Because this is his worst fear come true. Yeah, and he definitely feels responsible, especially he's been up in space. Right. So the fact you haven't been on Earth and this is now happening. Right. And now you ha- you're you getting informed of this militia of scrolls right. that is trying to cause anarchy by pitting countries against each other with terrorist attacks. Well, because this was a whole plot point we saw in, in the first Captain Marvel movie mm-hmm. where it was where it got to a point they didn't know who was impersonating who and people were getting shot indiscriminately because of um, mistaken identities and whatever else. And, oh, I think you're a scroll, but you're not. So he's lived this once and he saw the type of damage it can do. Now, fast forward to modern technology and, and space travel. Mm-hmm. Lord only knows what they could do. Yeah. And this is definitely weighing on him after, too, because, I mean, I love the shot that he's in his room and he's reliving the blip happening. Right. And I think it's even brought up at one point when Talos is first explaining to Fury what's going on, that it's mentioned that there are some scrolls who have already invaded portions of the American government. Yeah. So Fury's got to be, you know, crapping himself going, all right, how high? Yeah. So this is now all starting to play into his character that he is now acting. I don't want to say irrationally. But this is the first time we see him fractured. Mm-hmm. And this- he's he's normally the calm, cool, collected. You know, when when the Avengers couldn't figure their shit out in Age of Ultron, he's like, "Hey, dumbasses! You know, wrap them upside the head. Like, you got this." Mm-hmm. Now he's the one who needs a wrapping upside the head. Yeah, but he doesn't have Talos to do this at this moment because Talos actually arranges a secret meeting with Gaia. Yep. Or actually, he comes across her. It's he comes across. He, yeah, meeting. he it, comes across her. But it felt like a secret meeting of just how they were talking to each little other. little convenient he knew where she was. Yeah, because Gaia was trying to acquire dirty bombs for yeah. some mission that was going on. Well, Ta- well, yeah, because the whole pr- plan they've been doing, what we find out, is it sounds like they're trying to start World War Three, but mm-hmm. they were starting small with some countries in South America because it, gets, it got brought up to, like, Colombia did something, Venezuela did something to somebody else. And it was all like, you know, small pieces of dominoes. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, why don't we go for the two big boys? Yeah. United States and Russia. Yeah. So we're starting to get more of the overall plot point of Gravik. Mm-hmm. And we do have this conversation going on with Talos and Gaia, which reveals a lot. Yeah. And Gaia is just so caught up in Gravik's plan mm-hmm. that she's like willing to ignore what he claimed he did. Yeah. And that is, uh, Talos is saying, Gravik killed your mother. Yeah. And Gaia is just not hearing it, which is kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's he's he seemingly has this kind of cult of personality where just can say and do whatever he wants. And she she's so wrapped up in what he believes in that she just doesn't care. Yeah. So it's, it's a very strong scene between yeah. those two. And you get yeah. a lot of more insight, especially with Talos is getting torn apart, too, because... His family, one member is gone, and he's trying to save another yeah. one, and yeah. it's, it's just it's you know fighting against a force you can't win. Right. But during this, Gaia does tip off about their plan, mm-hmm. and that is to go make an attack on Vicinity. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I uh, messed that name up. Square mm-hmm. for Unity Day. Yep. And this is where you see Fury try making a play to stop everything. They mm-hmm. know that there's two people that are carrying. The bombs. Yep. Uh, and it should be noted that uh, Gaia told Talos that in this sea of humanity, because uh, looking it up on Wikipedia Day, Unity Day in Russia, also called Day of People's Unity or National Unity Day, 
uh, is a national holiday in Russia held on the 4th of November. Um, so it, it, it's a big thing. It was uh, first done in November 1612 and generally uh, the end of the time of troubles and turning point of the Polish-Russian War from 1605 to 1618. So it's this whole thing that obviously, as you see from the episode, like all of Moscow turns out for this thing. So how the hell are you going to find these two people to stop the bombs in, in, a, in a sea of humanity? A translucent X is placed on the back of each backpack. Yes. So now you have Fury, Talos, and Maria Hill scouring the crowd trying to find where these two people are with this like fancy schmancy tech and uh, nonsense like zooming in uh singling people out and being like nope not it yeah so they do get a lock on two people though and you see the chases on fury is going after one you're seeing talus go after another well it, well fury and hill i think are going after the same yes one. Talos is going after the other, but Fury gets sidetracked. Yeah, he gets distracted. Because mm-hmm, there's a child in, like, this rainbow outfit, mm-hmm. you know, the f- multicolored f- outfit from head to toe and holding, what was it, like a balloon? Or yeah, it was the one he saw earlier in Moscow. Yeah, it was the one he saw earlier, and it's just like the child is just, like, while well, everyone's moving, everyone's dancing, some people are buying stuff, this kid's just standing there staring at him like it's a fucking Stephen King movie. Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me of it. Yeah, to be honest with you, a little 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 shot there. But as you see, the chase is on, and everybody's a decoy. Yeah. Uh So we see Fury going after the figure he's been chasing, because we do see that character morph a couple times, until it's finally revealed to be Gravik, who's standing right in the center of the square Mm -hmm. and hits the trigger on the bombs. Yep. Very big explosions going left and right. Uh, Yeah, three of them at least. Yeah, so there's a massive body count that's happening here. And in the smoke, you see Maria Hill is coming up to where she, she thinks Fury is. Mm-hmm. Well, because well, Fury, called Fury, mm-hmm. air quotes, calls out to her, goes, Hill, and, he, and even raises his hand like, hey, I'm over here. And she starts to walk towards him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bang. Yep. Gunshot goes off. She grasps at her stomach, falls to the ground, blood pouring out of her stomach. Gun in Fury's hand pointed at her. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, that wasn't Fury. It's Gravik. It was Gravik. So Fury comes right up there to see, and Gravik changes back after he because mm-hmm. he's trying to get a shot on him, and he can't because the crowd is panicking too much. Uh huh. So Gravik disappears. Yep. And Fury is sitting there trying to, you know, save as much blood as he can. Yeah. And Talos has to grab him and leave, so they have yeah. to leave Hill in the square. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends. And she's dead. Yeah. For now. Well, for now. See, this is where my theories are going to come in. Mm-hmm. I think that she comes back as a scroll. Mm-hmm. That you're going to see somebody mm-hmm. could be transfer. Wouldn't be. But, the f- wouldn't be the first time uh, we've seen a shield agent get mortally wounded in the chest and then come back to life. Tahiti is a hell of a place. That's what I'm saying. It's a magical place. But where I think I'm going with this is. You notice Fury could tell mm-hmm. everybody is shape shifting. Well, at at the end of it, yeah, you know, at the towards the start of it, I think he made the comment of, "I can't," and he says something to the effect of, "Like I can't tell when a scroll's a human or when a human's a scroll." I forget how he worded it. He can't tell when somebody's a scroll, but he can tell when somebody's lying. Mm-hmm. At the start of it, he can't. I think he's starting to pick up on it by the end of it. I think he's a scroll. You think the fury we saw is a scroll? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think our fury is a scroll. Huh? And I think how they tipped it off was the longer you stay in that form, 
the more you become him. Yeah, that's true. And we have to remember, too. Could be. Talos has known a lot about this inf- this structure that's going on. Right. Like he's the one that talked about how the militias were all set up through uh, Moscow because yeah. they could survive the radiation. And, right, because there's and, all those abandoned uh, nuclear factories. Right. Nuclear reactors that like are all off the books and impossible to, na- to nail down. Mm-hmm. So what's to say that Talos didn't try converting Fury earlier? Maybe. Like there, there's remember we got a thirty year window. I'll say there's a lot of open time here, right? So, what if Fury is actually a scroll and believes he is? Mm-hmm. He, he believes he's Fury, and then he just doesn't realize it. Mm. I mean, they have played this in the comics a few times, so mm-hmm. this is not a completely out of crazy thought. Mm-hmm. But what kind of impact would that be? That, That'd be wild. That'd be a hell of a twist. Yeah, because I think a lot of people were trying to think of who would be the biggest, you know scroll reveal of all right and i don't think you're going to see any of the big three of the avengers i that ironically right as you were saying that that crossed my mind that like tony stark was a scroll no i don't think so no i have to give credit to michael rothman from nerd initiative because he said on fandoms what if it's roadie and you see don Cheadle transform back to terrence howard <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah which that'd, i think that would be a cool thing that'd too be great that'd be wild and the internet would have a meltdown for a day but I honestly think it's it's, it's got to be Fury. Like it could be because the thing is in the comic when they did this, and I think this is why the series ultimately didn't win over as many fans as it should have. Sure, they did the replacements of B level characters. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that A level character going mm-hmm. that was involved in this, mm-hmm. and I think that if they had done that, it would have had a bigger impact. Right. I think with the show, if you wanted to do that. And especially if you had it be a big character. Right. Then you would have some fans really talking, really buzzing. Well, you got to figure when they pitched the idea to Marvel, or at least kind of the structure framework of the show, and they brought up the the premise of like, okay, there are going to be folks, prominent folks who are or aren't scrolls. Mm-hmm. You have to figure Marvel okayed it and went, okay, we, we okay this, but like we're going to give you a list of folks that are on limits and off limits that you can and cannot make a scroll. Mm-hmm. So it just comes down to a question of was Nick Fury on that list or no? Yeah. So that said, there's a lot more questions that are going to be happening here with mm-hmm. Fury moving forward and now him chasing the mystery of everything. Yeah. So it could go a lot of different ways, but I think that we're going to have to see how this all ships up and goes. Yeah. But I think that for what they wanted to establish, it was a strong retelling. Yeah, it was. A lot of key things were moving parts. You have to really pay attention to everything going on. Mm-hmm. And if you can pay attention to everything happening, it will work out in that sense. Yeah. Um, that you're going to get a great story out of this. If you're going to expect this to be like the comic, I don't think we're going to have that. No. But I think with this series, they got to deliver something big. You have to have a big reveal of a scroll. Another theory I could have, and I could see this playing out because we never saw a technical body, if it was Black Widow. Right. I know you've had that theory for a while. Yeah, because I know in the comics that they've dealt with cloning a couple times, so right. what's to say that they didn't do with right. Natasha? I think the only ho- I think the only hookup with that is uh, Scarlett Johansson has been pretty firm that like she's done playing the character outside of being involved behind the scenes yeah. for like a producer's role or like a director's role for something. She's been she's been she's been pretty definitive since uh, her solo movie came out that like she's done done. 
Right, but you never know if they do another Avengers if she wouldn't pop back, and that's right. and that's an easy that's an easy window to do that in if if they wanted to. I still say Fury's the even money bet for me. Like I think that that makes right. the most sense. But I think overall, I think they they established what they wanted to do. It had a cool vibe to it, and I think there's a lot more story to be told. Even though we got five more episodes, yeah, we do. So, Pat, final thoughts on it? Fantastic episode. Love the setup. Love the framework and the groundwork they're laying for the future going forward because there are going to be some hell of a twists in these uh, next five episodes, uh, especially some some of the movies. I'm sure there's going to be some stuff where we're going to be like, wait, holy fuck, that person was a scroll. It's going to be nuts. Like the marketing they've done with this show already is insane. Yes. So there's a lot to be enjoying about with this. So you definitely want to make sure you're watching Disney Plus and catch up on the series when you can. One episode down, five episodes left. So definitely make sure to hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about the first episode of Secret Invasion entitled Resurrection? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom, from movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap the penultimate episode mm-hmm. of season three of the CW slash DC Comics hit series, Superman and Lois, entitled Injustice. Mm-hmm. So the story of the Kents move from Metropolis to Smallville has never been short of drama as Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolick have been playing the title roles of Clark, or Clark and Lois, should I say. Tried merging them like it was like a hashtag. Uh, with their sons, Jordan Kent and Jonathan Kent, played by Alex Garfin and Michael Bishop, respectively. Well, the drama has definitely been heating up lately as we have finally arrived at a point where the biggest bad of the Superman lore has finally arrived. Mm-hmm. So as we always do, Pat, give me your spoiler-free statement on Injustice. Holy shit, this episode was tense, and you could cut that tension with a plastic knife, not a butter knife plastic knife mm. loved every minute of it uh michael cudlitz uh playing the role of lex luthor is fucking incredible and he's only been one episode and not even you know like he's only been one episode it's in, it's insane how he's already made this character his own and different from any other iteration we've seen on the small screen or the big screen hell even in video games you know but this episode was incredible start to finish and it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes for the season finale tip in their hand a little bit if you know anything about certain stories and certain back back uh backgrounds with certain characters in the dc comics universe but that's not necessarily a bad thing it's it's nice sometimes to know okay here's where we're kind of going but no the episode was awesome i i love the episode i really did i think michael cutlass uh as lex luthor is going to be a big win yeah I am curious to see how they wrap things up with the finale, knowing what we know that Superman and Lois has been renewed for season four. <laughs> but majority of the supporting cast Boy, howdy. is not going to be regulars. They're going to be guest appearances. Yeah, right. I, th- I think from what I read, the only one that is going to be ones, I should say, that are going to be series regulars are obviously going to be the family and then uh, Michael Cudlitz. 
as uh, Lex Luthor. Pa- mm. Past that, it's going to be pretty much anyone else's a guest appearance. Yeah. So anything is kind of wide open, and I understand it's a business decision. Yeah. We both are not fans of that. No, and especially we know that it's a budget move, and the budget on the show is getting cut. And yeah. also, next season's only going to be like 10 episodes. Right. So they're going to give it a proper send-off, which I'm happy yeah, with. Yeah, which, which they haven't said it's the final season, but you're cutting the budget for everything including the actors and actresses you're going from 13 episodes this season however many there were for season two and one which and i know it was more oh no it was more than 10 i say it was 22 wasn't it? you know it was so it was something like that the season two was i think it was 22 but yeah so you're cutting back the number of episodes you're cutting back the norm the number of uh, uh regular up regular characters which not always a bad thing but Good Lord, when you go from the mount they have to just, you know, the four or five, that's a steep cut. Uh, writing's on the wall that next season's going to be the last. Yeah, which is understandable, and I have an idea where we're going with this. But with what we have here, I think there's a lot to enjoy. And then as we get to the season finale, uh, I have my thoughts. Okay. And I, I would ex- just advise everybody, brace yourself. Yeah, well, and especially we know the season finale is coming out. We don't know when season four is going to be coming because writer's strike is still ongoing. Yeah, so this might be it for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I fully expect them to go out on a high note until we see them again, but we still got one more episode to talk about next week. But in the meantime, let's get into that spoiler talk. So, Pat, in three, two, one. How do you feel about Injustice? Uh, Injustice, the episode, not Injustice, the video game. Uh, sorry, I had to throw that dig in there. I know you were waiting on that, but I, was, uh-huh. I, I just brushed it off. I know sold that. Uh, but no, the episode was incredible. Michael Kovlitz w- was intimidating. He was slightly frightening, you know, because he's not, you know, Michael Rosenbaum. He's not any of the actors who played him on on in the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's not, certainly not Jesse Eisenberg, and he's certainly not Kevin Spacey. You know, but he feels like a blend of the two. Where, like, for me, Rosenbaum is the, you know, he's he's the real dick, for mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. You know, where whereas the other portrayals were like, oh, we're goofy and we're quirky, and which nothing wrong with that. I don't hate it, but it, it's kind of like just a different take on it. You know, Cudlitz feels like a blend of of the, kind of the versions we've seen over the years. You know, it honestly reminds me a little bit of the portrayal we saw in the animated series. Yeah, I was going to say. Reminded me a lot of that. So the fact that he did so much with the character in like 40 some odd minutes because commercials Mm -hmm. was incredible. You know, I've always said he's a good actor, but God damn, I didn't know he could raise the the stakes this high with the character with the character just with what he did on the screen. You know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. And the episode was phenomenal. What he did was dive into the Clancy Brown Superman animated yeah. Lex Luthor. Yeah. And that one, I think, has been my favorite portrayal. Sure. Just because when Lex is done, not as a campy supervillain. Right. And he's done properly, which he is so egotistical mm-hmm. in believing that he is humanity's last weapon yep. against threats from beyond the worlds and he's so caught up on his own bs he feels he's the smartest person in the room even if factually that's not true Mm -hmm. and he is refusing to bend for anybody he's also very fucking smart yes like that is his greatest advantage 
And I thought what Cutlass did here mm-hmm. was capture that mm-hmm. and really played heavy into being humanity's last resort. Right. Just because we do know that there is a backstory with him and Lois and Clark. Which I thought was interesting, especially the backstory with, with Lax that they were kind of fleshing out. This is some interesting choices. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did. Because, I mean, where we open up is Luthor is in prison. Right. Uh Fairly early on, probably like the first day or first couple hours, mm-hmm. he's serving his, what was it, like five consecutive life sentences, seven consecutive life right. sentences? Because what Bruno Mannheim and Pia set him up for. Right. So he's now there, mm-hmm. and he's trying to use his influence right. on the inmates there, and they are not exactly sold on him being a threat. Yes, so a bunch of the inmates are at, I'm just going to call it the barbershop. It's not an actual barbershop, but it's the barbershop inside the prison because, hey, you got guys who are going to be there while they're going to need some uh, trimmings. Mm-hmm. You know, so a couple of them are in the barber chair. They're getting their hair cut, and he, and he comes up to the, to the guy doing the hair trim. He goes, I want those. And he points to the, the, the hair clippers, mm-hmm. you know, the electrical ones, because obviously they're not going to give these guys scissors because they're not stupid. You know, so they're like, oh, he's like, I want those. And the guy in the chair is like, aren't you rich as hell? It's going to cost you. He goes, I'll give you five. And Lex goes, I'll give you five bucks for it. And he go, and the guy, the barber goes, I think you're missing a few zeros after that five. You're going to need $50,000. He goes, no, I'm going to make you an offer. And whether you take it up or not is up to you. $5. And I'm going to give you some more opportunities. And he goes, no, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So they wind up beating him. Yep, mercilessly. Mm-hmm. So Luthor winds up in the warden's office, mm-hmm. and the warden, uh, William Ellis, who's played mm-hmm. by Dean Redman, yep. is sitting there and basically saying, if you're trying to bribe me, let's go, like being a very corrupt warden. Oh, yeah, because he knows who Lex Luthor is, and mm-hmm. he knows how rich he is. Yeah, and it kind of plays into a little seediness. Yeah, yeah. But to Cutlass's credit, he takes this scene and really makes it into something. Oh, my God. Because he's very calm. Uh-huh. And he goes, I want you to call this number. Well, he goes, the the mayor, not the mayor, the warden goes, listen, if you're going to bribe me, let's get it out of the way. He goes, I'm not going to bribe you. I'm going to make you an offer. What you choose to do with that offer, entirely up to you. Yeah, that's his play. He goes, what you do here, entirely up to you. I'm not going to make you do one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he hands him a little post-it note, a little sticky note. And he goes, there's a number I want you to call. Go ahead, call and he, it. And he goes, it's my home number. Yeah. So he calls the number and he and the warden goes, hello. And on the other end of the line, he hears his kid. Yeah. And the kid goes, dad, dad, help us. Dad, they're here. They're going to kill me. Help us. Help us. And the and the warden starts freaking out going, well, where's your mom? They took her away. She was screaming and then I didn't hear anything. I don't know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And before the father, before the warden can talk to his kid anymore, uh, Luthor reaches over and hits the little button on the on the landline phone to kill the call. Yeah. So Luthor now has the warden in his back pocket. He's got the warden by the scruff of his neck. Yeah. So we see how he deals with the people that were disloyal to uh-huh. him, so to speak. Uh-huh. You see the three inmates that would not give over the Clippers are beaten to death. By the, well, by the guards. By the guards. And yeah. even the warden's like, have they had enough? He's like, no. 
They have not. Because this flashback is split up in Mm. between past and present. And in the middle, in between this flashback sequence, so we go from Lex shows up, gets his ass kicked, Mm. to present day where it's brought up by Lois that like her and Clark are a little concerned and a little worried because it's been however many days, however many weeks since the story came out. And presumably Lex's conviction should have gotten overturned and he's still not out of jail. Well, come to find out, we see right before the title sequence, we see a sheet of paper get handed to him and it has his, his uh, government name on it, you know, Alexander Luthor. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, what does it mean? He goes, well, it means collect my things. I'm a free man. Yeah. And he has the warden pull some strings for him where because obviously high profile inmate, you know, a lot of people are interested. He gets him released before the press finds out about this. So it's like how the so we go from him getting his shit kicked in to the warden helping him get out of jail without any press there. And you're sitting there going, how the hell is this going on that the warden's in his back pocket like that? And then we find out. Especially while he's getting served a very nice dinner. Oh, my God. I've, I've, I realize I've never been to prison. And knock on wood, I never will. But I've seen prison food on television. That is not any prison food I've seen on television. No. That was nice. So Luthor is now getting set to walk out. Mm-hmm. And does leave the jail. Uh-huh. Very... Low profile. <laughs> yeah. Like lowercase low profile. Yeah. He just gets up and walks. He just starts walking. Yeah. No, nobody waiting for him. He j- What does he do? He just hands some paperwork to the warden or something. And it's like, yeah, make sure this is delivered to the where we agreed on at the agreed upon time. Mm-hmm. Like that's his only instructions. Yeah. So he leaves. And starts just starts walking. Meanwhile, Lois and Clark are freaking out about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's. Switching gears from Lex is loose, which is already stressing the family out enough. Well, he he should be. At this point, they don't know he's out yet. Right. But they know it's coming. Right. But they also have to deal with Jordan. <laughs> oh, my God. Because Jordan. This fucking kid. <laughs> you want to take this one, Pat? No, because I'll get infuriated. Okay. So Jordan is refusing to give up on becoming a superhero, even though he is very inexperienced, mm-hmm. very reckless. Mm-hmm. And even though he does some good things, he yeah. does not understand. Yeah. We live in the age of the Internet. Everybody uh-huh. has cell phone cameras. Uh-huh. And if he wants to maintain any kind of normalcy, he has to be very careful. And when he goes to save Sarah from her drunk driving experience, it turns into more of a problem than he is expecting. I'll say this is in 2005 where everyone had shitty cell service and nobody had smartphones and it took a year and a half to upload a photo from your phone to the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't 2007 where you had to wait till you were in Wi-Fi signal on your iPod touch, mm-hmm. you know, to, to upload a photo. Everyone's got cell service pretty damn good in most places. Uh, and it doesn't take long to upload. Right. And in this case, we see Junior, who is also in that car that Jordan saved, yeah. uh, is now talking to the news. Oh, well, yeah, and he, he just won't let it go. Yeah, and he is just sitting there fanboying out oh about, God. oh, my God, there's a superhero in, in Smallville, and it's not Superman. And he's being actually somewhat smart about it and piecing the clues together and going, well, he had goggles on, and he looked to be about our height, and, and I bet he goes to school here. Yeah, so... Sarah is confiding in her mom about this, too. Well, first, Sarah is, like, trying to, like, brush. She's still trying to brush it off and, like, no, this isn't real. No, this isn't true. And Jordan starts walking towards this discussion with Sarah and Junior. Mm -hmm. And Jordan's walking with two other classmates. 
and they're like, oh, yeah, we heard you spouting this in algebra earlier. Listen to this. Listen to how, not, how ridiculous this is. And he spouts it again, like, oh, he, he starts saying his theory, and Jordan tries defending it. Yeah. Well, he sounds... Well, he sounds like he's trying to help people. Oh, he sounds like kind of a badass. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to remember, this didn't bother me as much because I usually get very annoyed when uh, Jordan goes this route. But I understand what he's trying to do because it's like the first time when Spider-Man's in school. Yeah. And you hear about Flash Thompson who's defending him. and It's kind of a weird thing. So they tried playing off that, which I didn't mind as much. But this is also, like I say, it gets back to uh, Lana from Sarah who goes tells Lois and Clark. So it's like this weird game of telephone that goes on here. Yeah. And it ultimately goes to where General Lane takes uh, Jordan's suit away. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the big trope for them this episode. Right. Is just what are we going to do with Jordan? So, right. And like I say, Mayo Kirky as Lana did a great job with this scene. Yeah. Obviously, Dylan Walsh as General Lane has really stepped it up for this yeah. portion. Yeah. And as the conflict is kind of looming with Luthor, because they do keep cutting back to his flashback sequences mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. this because he's just walking. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a lot that's happening and, here. And we don't know. We just know. We know he's in, what is it, Stryker's prison. Yeah. And we know he walks down a road. There ain't exactly a, a road sign saying, you know, Gotham, straight ahead, 45 miles. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know where he's going. Right. So, and, the- and in fact, it's even theorized once they find out and once it gets leaked to the press or the press finally finds out he's out, mm-hmm. it hits the news. And the news is speculating that he's walking to, what did they say? Was it Luther Corps? I yeah. I can't remember if they said. LexCorp. L- or, yeah. He's on his way to LexCorp and he should be at LexCorp at any minute. Yeah. So. All the while, you're having the drama unfold here. There's a sub-story going on that since Kyle, who now knows that Clark is Superman. Fanboying hard. Yeah, this is the Flash Thompson 101 here. Oh, my God. Eric Valdez played this perfectly. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, Clark has to go see him at the fire station because Jordan is getting peripheral treatment. Preferential treatment, yeah. Well, because he's getting, quote-unquote, hazed in that. You know, and it's nothing like, oh, run down the street with you in your underwear. No, it's like, hey go get us lunch. Yeah. And he went to go get the firehouse lunch from some sandwich place. Mm -hmm. And he forgot one of the other members sandwiches. Now, whether he forgot it wasn't ordered, they never say just the the guy never got it. And the guy who didn't get his sandwich is like all sorts of pissed off, obviously hungry and goes, go back and get it. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do this. And, And Kyle's like, you know what? No, you sit, you have your sandwich. We can worry about this later. And they go have this back and forth before Kyle finally goes, no, you're out of line. Go home for the day. And, yep. he, and he's saying that to the, the firefighter who didn't get a sandwich. Yeah. So Clark has to come down and, and kind of remedy things. And Kyle does have a, a, a stern talk with Jonathan. Yeah, because he's not happy. Clark found out, about, found out about what happened. Yeah, but they kind of come to a resolution. Let's about keep it. things in house. Yeah. Which, you know what? Like I say, I thought this scene was a good little break. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's anything game changing. No. But I thought it was a nice little scene to give everybody some screen time here. Yeah. Because then we get to the big tornado that comes through town. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which I honestly thought this was Luthor. At, at some stage, I was like, okay. This is, this is just random. And it's random, but obviously we're And living. you know what bugged me about mm-hmm. this this specifically? Like, the tornado shows up, and okay, I get it. It's Kansas. For those who don't know, it's called Kansas is a part of what's called Tornado Alley, mm-hmm. which is a portion of the United States where it's very more prone to tornadoes than other parts of the country. Right. For being Kansas and for being, you know, a, a town full of a lot of folks who are born there, raised there, live their entire life. They're ill prepared. Why the fuck was everyone just standing around? Now, yeah. I was saying this because Liz was watching this and we both found this 
a little, you know, off and and little miswritten. I can understand it if it's like one or two people because like, oh, I moved here for work. I moved here to get away from the bustle. Like, sure. But for a little like the firehouse was standing there. Everyone in the in the uh, town hall was just standing there. Everyone at the diner where Sarah was is like standing there, you know, slack jawed going, oh, my God, it's a tornado. And we're like, aren't you going to run like General Lane is driving down the road. There's those two vehicles stopped on the side of the road and they're just standing there looking at it. Mm-hmm. Most unbelievable thing with the with that whole scenario. Yeah, I agree with you, too. I thought like you're used to this. You're from Kansas. Yeah, this was anything super new. I mean, especially General Lane was the most calm about everybody. And he's not which, even from there, which I get. He's a four star general. You know, he's been in worse. So that made sense to me. But you had literally literally everyone. In the shots they showed reacting to the tornado, everyone's just standing there until Lana comes in and goes, quick, everyone, go hide, go hide, go do this. Sarah goes, oh, everyone behind the counter, everyone behind the counter. General Lane, oh, everyone under the bridge, everyone until the main characters show up. All the background actors are like, what do we do? Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that was one faux pas of this yeah. episode. Yeah. But we do see Superman go take care of the tornado, and lo and behold, Jordan... Can't help himself. Can't help himself. Flies in. He sees the suit in General Lane's car, yeah. and General Lane kind of gives him the head nod, like, go put it on. Yeah. So he now goes flying into the tornado. Superman is yelling at him, like, I got this. Like, I, I, this is not the worst I've ever faced. Yeah, he's like, you can go home. And George's yeah. like, I can help. I can help. Yeah. So they wind up stopping the tornado. Jordan lands in front of the group of people. Uh-huh. And everybody's whipping his cell phones. Everybody's trying to get his picture. Everybody's, you know, marking out. Yep. Superman's just kind of looking, going like, rolling his eyes like, oh, here we go. And I said to Liz, I go, well, this certainly isn't going to help Jordan's uh, argument. No. So they get done with this, and yep. then we get to probably the strongest point of the episode. We see Luthor finally arrive at his destination. Uh-huh. It's at night. Uh-huh. And obviously this is when Jordan is arguing with his parents. They get done with that. They literally go outside and read, they read him the riot act. Like basically you're grounded, no suit, no powers or else. Yeah. And go to your room. And he doesn't just walk to his room. He super speed runs to his room. Yeah. They go outside and Lex is standing right there. Well, cause they're standing there and they see some headlights flash through the front windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Lex comes out. The situation is very tense because oh, the oh devil God. has shown up at their front door. Uh huh. And Lex really just throws his, uh, I don't want to say challenge down, but his demand down. He throws the book at him. I mean, he sets it up kind of slowly where he's like, oh, lots changed in 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you moved to small, you moved to a small, small farm in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Had two kids, you know, Uh, he goes, oh, what do they must be now? 16 years old. And Lois goes. We are not talking about my kids right now. Yeah. And then and then he starts leaning into what he's really there for. And that's he's pissed about what happened because he maintained from the beginning that he was innocent. Yep. And Lois went through with it anyway. And she goes, what do you want from me? An apology? And he goes, yeah, I want an apology. And she starts to apologize. And he goes, you know what? An apology is not enough. Doesn't mean much. I lost 17 years of my life, almost two decades. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife wants nothing to do with me. We find out he's got a wife. We find out he's got a daughter. Yeah. He goes, my wife wants nothing to do with me. My daughter won't even talk to me. 
I got demands and you better meet them or else I'll be right back here. Mm-hmm. And what are his demands? She retire. And completely. Yep. Like she is no longer writing anything. Yep. So he takes off and uh, unites with uh, a certain somebody. Yeah. Otis, who, uh, yeah. you know, was a faithful uh, employee of Inner Gang. Mm-hmm. And they wind up going back to the Frankenstein area. Yep. That's going on because, I mean, I, Lex, the one thing this entire time has had a vested interest in everything. Right. And you can see that obviously with him being in jail didn't stop anything mm-hmm. as we go back to the dinner scene where he's using a inmate as a seat and he's beating the shit out of it because it's not exactly up to his standards. Yes. You seeing that he is now focused on destroying Superman back again. And mm-hmm. he mentions that Dr. Hook yeah. that has been, uh, involved in the in, involved with like the whole resurrection process. Yeah. He's no longer with us. Yeah, He's been uh, dealt with and he takes out like a handkerchief or, or something and unveils a broken bloody handkerchief with uh, glasses inside. Mm-hmm. So as they're progressing through, they do come across bizarro Superman who winds up killing Otis and he, he's like a fucking zombie. Yeah. So it's more to the comics than in we saw last season. Right. And that's how things end. So, in that short brief amount of time, Luthor established, they did a great job of establishing him as a dangerous threat. He ain't nothing to fuck with. Exactly. And they completely nailed that point. Yeah. Cullis did a phenomenal job with this. And now we're going next episode, which is titled, What uh, Kills You Only Makes You Stronger. Somebody cue the Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Uh, I'm fully guessing he unleashes Bizarro, and we're going to see a body count in Smallville. Could be. And I think that's how they eliminate a lot of characters. Could be. I'm t- I got a feeling, like, for where they were going to go with things. Well, given Lex Luthor and given what he's done in the past in the comics with DNA as Superman. Yeah, things are going to get really, really messy. Like, I think somebody does get killed off regardless. Probably. I just don't know who. Because, uh, obviously, the announcement of everybody not returning came back after this was filmed. <laughs> and they all, got, they all got told on the same day. Yeah. So... I expect to get a little crazy, a little wild, and I expect nothing less because if Luthor is going to be the last one standing, I think things are going to get set up for a lot of people not to return. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's a big win for us because they're going to focus 10 episodes on Superman and Luthor, and it's going to be the final hurrah. Let it go out with a blaze of glory. Final thoughts, Pat? Fantastic episode. Fantastic setup. Boy, next week is going to be must-watch television. Absolutely. So make sure to hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Injustice from Superman and Lois? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Just three things. Uh, there are three things uh, not out yet because they all release this week. Uh, one in theaters, two of them on uh, your television screens, laptop screens, tablet screens, whatever you want to, whatever you watch, you're streaming stuff on. Uh, the first of which that is coming this Friday, June 30th, in theaters, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Ooh. Of course, this is directed by uh, James Mangold. He might know directed Logan, starring, of course, Hugh Jackman. Uh, he is directing, but of course, returning to the titular role for the final time. No, he's seriously, folks. He said it's the last time, and at this at this stage in his career, yeah, I, be- I believe him. 
uh, but it will be Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in the film as well, playing Helena. Uh, Antonio Banderas is in the film. Karen Allen returns playing the role of Marion. Jonathan Rhys Davies is back as Salah. Uh, You've also got Toby Jones is in the movie as well. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is playing Dr. Voller. Uh, presumably, he's going to be the big bad for the movie. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie looks interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, the last movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, up until you got to the alien part of it, which that's, you know, a kind of a spoiler, but hey, that was 10 years ago, so, you know, whatever. Uh, up until you got to the alien stuff, I didn't think was that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I rewatched it last year when I was rewatching some of the Indiana Jones movies. And up until the alien part, it's it's a fairly typical Indiana Jones movie. You know, intrigue, mystery, history stuff. It's just the alien thing is the most out of place thing in that movie. Um, but we'll see how this does. You know, I'm, I'm interested. I've heard it's the most okay movie of the Indiana Jones sequel, which that's not a bad thing in my eyes. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I've never really been a big indie fan. Right. Like, for me, like, after the first two, I'm kind of like, I'm out. Uh, see, I like the first one. The second one's okay. You know, I love the third one, Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one, like I said, the fourth one, it's fine until you get to the alien stuff. And then the alien stuff, it just it just goes left, and I don't really agree with it. Uh, but then also releasing this week, uh, first on Netflix, uh, in the first of two volumes, with the first volume dropping on the 29th of June, uh, volume two dropping on the 27th of July, uh, is the third season of The Witcher, of Ooh. course, starring Henry Cavill, and this will be his swan song as the char- uh, main character, Geralt of Rivia. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, obviously, fans of the book are not fans of the show. I thought I think the show for me has been fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really associate it with the books. I've I've never had an issue with book to adaptation different differences. I realize, you know, some changes got to get made and whatnot. But like, it's been fine. It's been good. You know, it's not been the best thing I've ever seen. It's not been the worst thing I've ever seen. It's it's enjoyable. So we'll see how he does in the in the final swing as Geralt of Rivia before one of the Hemsworth. I know it's not Chris. I think it's Liam. Mm. Uh, Liam Hemsworth takes over the role for the next season. Whenever that comes out, we'll see. Uh, but then also releasing on Amazon Prime this week, uh, specifically June 30th, will be the fourth and final season of John Krasinski as Jack Ryan in Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Let's go. Super excited for this. Now, the thing we should note is unlike last season where they just dropped the entire fucking thing at once, uh, they're doing a uh, weekly release. So it looks like the first two episodes will drop on uh, June 30th, which, of course, is a Friday. Uh, after that, it will be one or, and then they're dropping. It looks like two episodes each week. So it'll be two more episodes on June 7th and then two more episodes on June 14th. So the final episode, which will be episode six, is dropping on the 14th of July. So super excited for this. Jack Ryan has been a fantastic show and really fun. Uh, it's, it, again, it's if you like Secret Invasion, I think you will like uh, Jack Ryan. It's kind of in that same vein. Fully agree. I think everybody's really going to enjoy this uh, series. Yeah. If you haven't checked it out already, definitely. And yeah. especially I expect them to go out on a big note yeah. for that. Before we get into comic talk, there okay. was some comic news that we should uh, bring up about. Sure. It has been announced that San Diego Comic-Con is not going to be having a few places featured this yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, reading an article from Variety, Marvel, Netflix, Sony, HBO, and Universal to skip SDCC this year. So uh, they have announced that they're not coming. Right. Pad, what is your reaction to this? Well, I mean, Netflix doesn't necessarily surprise me because they just had their whole Tudum event uh, right. a couple weekends ago, either last week or the one prior. So Netflix doesn't entirely surprise me. 
Marvel doesn't surprise me either because I know you and I, we knew last week it was announced that Marvel wouldn't be doing Hall H. Mm-hmm. That also doesn't surprise me because for pretty much outside of maybe some TV shows and when they're going to specifically release because the day, I know the dates have changed. We pretty much know what Marvel's doing for like the next two years, mm-hmm. you know, so Marvel doesn't really surprise me. Like, I know there's some stuff down the road that like we know dates of, but we don't know what's tied to those dates. But we're not at a point where we need to know what that is, you know, and the rest of it, like they've got their own. It's it's kind of going. I don't now. I don't think San Diego Comic Con's going to go away. Sure. But I think it's going to have ebbs and flows where there's some years they're there. Some years they're not. You know, San Diego Comic Con is always going to be there. The, obviously, the comic creators and the comic publishers will show out. The television studios will show out, you know. But there are going to be these years where it's where it ebbs and flows because kind of in the same vein with E3 where all you had was that one venue to show off your gaming news for your upcoming releases and the trailers and the whatever else, and the demos and whatever else. Now with stuff like Twitch and YouTube and your own sites and whatnot, it's a lot easier for these companies in these studios to get that information out. So it's not necessarily required for a studio to show. It's just kind of like one of those nice added bonuses. So it doesn't entirely surprise me. See, I wasn't super shocked by this with the writer's strike going on. Yeah, there's that too. Because like, what are you going to be hyping up if, if you if you unveil this like amazing project that's coming out? Right. And it's delayed, 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 delayed. Right. What's the point of even showing it if, yeah. you, if you can't build off the hype? Because right. the one thing about San Diego, more so than C2E2, right. New York, right. the list goes on and on. San Diego is geared towards the movies and TV shows. Yeah. That is their bread and butter. Yeah. This is not a shot. This is just, this is what it is. It's what it is. If they don't have a lot to unveil there... It's still a Comic-Con at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, is it as focused as New York is on comics? In my opinion, no. But I'm like I say, it's not a slight. It's just when you have a show like San Diego, which has built the reputation mm-hmm. of Hall H, right. Marvel Studios. Because well, half the studios are like a drive down whatever interstate it is. Exactly. And they're right there. So it makes sense. Yeah. So I don't feel that it's. You know the last call on this con is going to no. fold up and God disappear. No. God no! Like I'm sorry. Like <laughs> all it means is it just might be a little bit easier to get tickets. Yeah, it's going to be a little easier, and plus, it's going to be showing more of a focus on the comic side of things, which is what it was started for. Yeah, it, it, which I think fans got maybe a little too greedy about it. Mm, that like maybe that I mean, sure, I love sitting there and hearing all the results coming out of Hall H and, you know, getting excited about the Marvel movies, but if I'm not going to see them because things are delayed, which they are, I mean, we're not going to go through every single one. Right, there's there's a lot. You can look it up on your own time. Right. So, the fact that I'm seeing, like, a lot of meltdowns about this and people are like, oh... Is, Have you is, not been paying attention? Yeah, it's like... Do you live under a rock? Yeah, it's like, the whole deal of going to a con is having that social experiment yeah. of... Meeting up fellow fans, meeting creators, yeah. and having those experiences that nobody else can have because you're in an area where your fandom is encouraged to be celebrated. Right. So for anybody that's like crying about this, I'm sorry, I can't hear your argument. I mean, me personally, don't get me wrong. It was awesome. Those couple of years we went to New York and got to see an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. early. Sure. It was awesome for me to go my first year to the Star Wars Rebels panel and see the first two episodes of season two of Rebels a week before anyone else on the planet got to see it. That's awesome to see. 
But you know what? I had just as much, if not more fun seeing in in some instances, the panel's about, hey, here's Marvel's next big thing where we're going to bring out all of these writers. They're going to talk a little bit about what they've do, been doing, some of their thought processes and what they went into some of their work. But, hey, they're going to drop tidbits of what they've got going on and what they're going to work on next. Or going to the, the Lucasfilm publishing panel where Timothy Zahn was at one year for New York Comic Con and dropped the bombshell on us that, like, hey, uh, he was writing another Thrawn book. Mm-hmm. And the room screaming because you're in a room full of Star Wars fans announcing more Thrawn. Thrawn. That for me was as much fun, if not more fun, than some of the the movie panels or the show panels. Yeah, don't get me wrong, that was fun and it was cool to see. Especially the one year we got to be in the same room as Ryan Reynolds hyping up Free Guy, which we had never heard of until that moment, uh-huh. and now is one of my favorite movies I've seen in the last five years. Yeah, but I had as much fun, if not more fun, at the DC panels and the Marvel panels that are talking the books. I'm right there with you. When I go to cons, I like meeting up with people, like standing yeah. in line. Hell, that's why we have one of the best stories we've had in ODPH history. Dre Driven. Yeah. You know, and honestly, having those interactions, having those conversations, marking out as a fan, like yeah. having that excitement. Like, that's why you go to cons for. And that's why I think everybody should really take a step back about complaining about Marvel and everybody How not being dare there. they not come? Yeah, I mean, we went through a, we went through two years where there wasn't any cons, period. That's true. Yeah. So the fact you get something, enjoy it, celebrate it, cosplay it the fuck out, go crazy. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. And, and you know, I'm telling you right now, that's exactly my plan for New York in the fall. So if you got the chance to go to San Diego, enjoy it. Yeah. Go to some panels. Hell, I'm even going to tell you the, probably the biggest one you should go see is the Massiverse one because some they're promising something big. I fully, fully believe mm. they're going to deliver. Do I know what it is? No. Have I asked for a live stream hookup? Yes. Am uh, I going to get one? No. Probably not. But you know what? It doesn't hurt to try. But that's, like I say, that's where you should be hyped about. When Marvel goes out there, go to their booths. Hear what they're going to be talking about. Hear about the new books coming out. There's a whole new line coming out for the Fall of X. Yep. Which looks absolutely amazing. Yep. A lot of limited series, but I don't care. Hell, the one I'm like, and I made this very public. I'm trying to get a copy somehow, some way, and I know people from Marvel listen to this show, of Dark X-Men. Oh, yeah. Because I know the creative team on it right. is absolutely a great pairing. Well, Chris, there's probably going to be an entire panel in San Diego about the Ultimates universe right. coming back. That's the whole thing. So that's what I'm saying. Like, Go to those panels. Hear about these amazing books. Go meet some creators. Go take a shot on some indies. Right. Like, just... Go be fans, and like it, I'm sorry, like it, it shouldn't just be about oh we don't have you know Hall H, we don't have this, we don't have that. Like I say, for the studios aspects of things, yeah. yeah. But uh, like I say, I know in Marvel saying they weren't going to be there. I'm pretty sure the comics are going to be there. Oh yeah, the comics will be there. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? Celebrate the comics while you're out there. And that just leaves room for some awesome panels like the one I went to with George Takei. Yeah, and I got to hear George. It just George Takei and an interviewer. One of the best panels I've ever been to, hands down. I can listen to George Takei tell stories till I'm dead. Yeah. Like, we'll be talking about San Diego when it gets closer. But yeah. in the meantime, I'm just, I'm seeing a lot of it on social media. And I wanted to say something just because people enjoy the fact you get to go to cons. Yeah. A lot of people want to go to San Diego Comic Con and can't because the tickets are so damn hard to get a hold of. Yeah. 
So, like I say, celebrate the wins when you got them. Yeah. Go, go find some comics and then hit us up because then maybe the book that you're reading will be mentioned by Padawan J and myself on the last call of the ODPH. So, Pad, what you got this week? So, on my read list this week uh, from the folks over at DC, you've got Action Comics issue number 1056. Uh, of course, this one's from Philip K. Johnson. And, uh, Ken, we're going to use a little bit of pro wrestling terms. We've got a two-on-one handicap match going on here. Oh, let's go. Uh, you've got Superman teaming up with Metallo to fight cyborg superman oh uh-huh that's an interesting pairing yeah so the description of this is a shocking new character makes their debut as the thrill-packed speeding bullets concludes concludes superman and metal must reluctantly join forces to stop the cyborg superman with tracy coleman's life or at least her uh, or at least her humanity hanging in the balance the super family fights uh, to keep metropolis standing meanwhile lois and the staff of the daily planet set out to uncover the mysterious leader and shocking origin of blue earth you had me at metallo and superman versus cyborg superman that's going to be fucking nuts uh, I tell you what, the Superman line right now is uh-huh. on so much point. Like we gotta talk uh-huh. about this more on the show. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making a mental note of this because yeah. like every book that's out right now, so it, good. Like in the words of Seamus, banger after, after banger, banger after, after banger. banger. Uh, and then switching over to the folks at over at Marvel, uh, you've got issue number three out this week of Star Wars: Darth Vader, Black, White, and Red. Uh, this one from Jason Aaron, uh, and the description of this is life like never before. Mark Bernadine brings us along with Vader on a mission you won't soon forget. Plus, the penultimate chapter of Jason Aaron and Leonard Kirk's Vader uh, deconstruction. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about this one. You need to read this one for yourself. This one is phenomenal reading. Uh, also from the folks over at Marvel, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, the folks over at Dark Horse, because we're sticking with some Star Wars. Uh, you've got Star Wars, uh, the High Republic issues number six, seven, and eight are out this week. Uh, so those are from Daniel Jose Older. Some fantastic fun reads. Like I said, High Republic, some of the best re- Star Wars reading you can do that is not really tied into anything. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not leastly, from the folks over at Dynamite Entertainment, also from Phil K. Johnson. 007 for King and Country, issue number three. Description of this reads, with another 00 agent in hot pursuit, James Bond and Gwen Gan seek out an old ally to help them on their mission to take down uh, Merimdian, M-Y-R-M-I-D-O-N. But Bond learns that even Gwen Gan might not be exactly what she claims to be, Mm. dot, dot, dot. If you're a 007 fan and you have not read the 007 comics, you should. They are fantastic writing. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, on my end, uh, where, do, where do I even begin? Uh, I know the polarizing book of the week is obviously Amazing Spider-Man number 27. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. Or 28, I should say, at this yeah. stage. Yeah. I, I forget, and I know like a lot of fans have had some reactions to it. So I'm going to say like this, if you're into it, cool. If you're not, you know, it is what it is. There's a lot more stuff to pick up on the shelf this week. And Marvel, like I said, you kind of hit my picks right there, too. I know they had uh, the new Captain America symbol of truth. Number 14 is coming out. That's the fallout from Cold War, the big crossover they've had. So a lot of cool things happening there. Uh, DC side of things. Uh, you already touched upon Action Comics. That looked phenomenal. Batman Brave and the Bold, Ooh. Uh, number two. So that one, I know it's got a hefty price tag, but considering Tom King and Ed Brisson are involved, uh, it's probably going to be worth the money, folks. So let me just put it out there for you on that aspect. A uh, few other books that are on my radar this week. Local Man, number five. So this is a book that I think needs to get talked about more. Mm-hmm. It's from Image Comics. 
And this has been one that I've been reading since it came out. Tony Fleeks, Tim Seeley, uh, really tying in uh, Heroes Fall from Grace. But for me especially, this ties back to image comics of the 90s. Like we're talking Spawn, Youngblood, Wildcats, Cyberforce. And how they're playing this up has been really, really strong stuff. I, I really enjoy this book. And where we're going for number five uh, I can't say because of embargo reasons as we're recording, uh-huh. but let me just say this. I think that fans will be very, very happy and really enjoying what they're going to see here as we move okay. forward. I, th- okay. I think that's probably as spoiler-free as I can keep it. Yes. Uh, also, another book that's out this week is The Savage Strength of Starstorm. Say that three times fast, Pat. Uh, no, thanks. Number two from Image Comics. So this is Drew Craig and Jason Feinstone. Now, this was a really cool story when it when it debuted because this has a lot of Jack Kirby superhero elements in it. So it's a very classic story. Right. So they did modernize it a lot. The second issue, going by the cover, and I'm just going to show Pad the cover. Okay. So you get that live reaction. Ooh, interesting. Pad, what is on here? Uh, there's a whole lot going on. There's a lot of zombies. Yeah. Yeah. So this book has got a lot happening with it. And I think that issue number one, if you haven't picked up issue number one, I highly recommend checking that out, especially if you like modern superheroes. Like that is something that I think we as fans don't see that often. Mm -hmm. Like just, you know, we see a lot of superhero books. Don't get me wrong. But just like that classic vintage vibe. Right. That's what you get with this book. So. Issue number two is going to be one you definitely want to keep an eye out for when you hit the comic shops this week. Also, from Boom Studios, past two were from Image, now we're switching to Boom. This is going to be a big year for Power Rangers fans. This is the 30th anniversary of Mighty Morphin Power right, Rangers. Right, right. God, I feel old. And there is a lot of stuff on the way. And one book that is coming out is Power Rangers Unlimited the coin list, number one. Hmm. So this pad you might not be familiar with because I know that you are starting to get into the comics stuff. I, I would say my well, my my Power Rangers knowledge is from the, the original series, which admittedly I haven't seen in 20 some odd years. And then listening in the background while my brother was watching two of the later seasons. Yes. So it's it's real limited. It's real limited. But like I say, because I know we talk about the comics here a little bit. And I, before we get that email from Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Games. We this is going to be tying into a, a character that is very popular in the comics, and that's Draken. Okay, and he is actually an evil version of Tommy Oliver. Oh, interesting! And very popular in the recent years of comics. Sure, um, amongst the Power Rangers lore. So this is kind of focusing on his team. Um, it kind of looks like a team book. I'm showing you because this is Dan Moore artwork on the Ooh, cover. That's nice. Like that's the only thing you see. It's Dan Moore artwork. Yeah. And like I say, the book is really focusing on the fallout of what's happening, and it kind of has. It looks like a team vibe right now. I haven't got a chance to read it yet. It's in my pile, so I definitely want to dive into it as soon as we get done recording because it definitely will make sure we have a review out for Parlay Points this week. But with everything going on with Dragon, and especially coming out of the pages of Melissa Flores's uh, Power Rangers run, right. which I'm stressing to everybody that can hear the sound of my voice, if you haven't checked out Power Rangers in a long time, like, Pad especially. Yeah. Check her run out. Because mm-hmm. she's doing a lot of things tying in the classic mythos to really give it a fresh look, mm-hmm. fresh feel. And this is going to be a couple issues 
before the darkest hour which is going to be the year-long story that she's going to be telling mm. so if you haven't jumped into this universe you definitely want to step into it uh like i said the coinless looks really cool and especially if you know the history of dragon you understand what's going on here uh to a degree like i say the cover it looks like something's happening there's a lot of a lot of characters on here and especially the dark specter uh at least in my eyes it looks like he's looming and especially if you know the current story that's going on yeah, uh, you can probably make that assumption as well too. So, but definitely keep your eye out for that. And rounding out my picks for this week, well, we have a new Creed story, Pad. Yeah, from Michael B. Jordan and the franchise is built Ooh. over there. They're now taking the story of Creed and bringing it to comics by way of Boom Studios. Nice. So this is going to be a project that's with his Outlier uh, Society uh, production company. Sure. And Chartoff Winkler. Sure. So they're now taking the story of Creed and they did like a time jump. Okay. Because you can see that this is when his daughter, because she's on the cover. Right, right, right. And her story. Right. So this is going to be one to keep an eye out for, especially if you love the Creed movies. I think they're doing a video game based off that concept, too. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I want to show you the alternate cover. Yeah. Tell me how cool this is. Oh, that's very nice. It's like an old school Nintendo Nintendo cover. Yeah, it is. So I love this one. That'd Um, look great on a poster. Yeah. So Boom Studios has got a lot of cool things going on with this. And like I say, this is going to be the continuation of the Creed movies. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is an executive uh, creative director on this. Nice. So he is very involved with this. So this is not going to just be something that uh, he's not connected with and not following the same kind of feel and vibe. Right, right. Obviously, with him being so involved in the franchise. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for this coming up this week. So uh, be on the lookout for those on Parlay Points Nerd Initiative this week. And definitely uh, that's the list I have this week. And I definitely want to hear from everybody what you're reading, too. I always, I always say we always have these great picks. Yeah. I, get, I get DM'd. That somebody's jumping into some Star Wars book because of Pad, so you are. It's always it's always a good choice. Yeah, you're always influencing everybody on this. As I've said before, if it's Charles Soule and Star Wars, you're good. Yeah, just read it. And I know that I've turned on quite a few people to Battle Chasers. I get DM'd about that all the time. So if you're reading something and you want us to check it out, let us know. I mean, I know the the big news that broke through comics this past week was Void Rivals by Skybound Entertainment kicking off the GI Joe and Transformers universe. Yeah. They are starting to do the slow unveil of Transformer characters involved. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, the minute you put Daniel Warren Johnson's name connected with this project, you already got my money. <laughs> like, that's going to be just bonkers in September. So, uh, But like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on in comics. So as always, as we say in closing, make sure to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at and go support some independent comic podcasts because we're all putting in some good work and trying to get you the best recommendations possible so your collection is definitely on point. That all said, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only Padawan, Jay. Uh, I have seen Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and as an OG Beast Wars fan, I approve. That's just, all. You, just saying, I approve. That's all you need to know, folks. Make sure you go check that out at the theaters as well. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for checking out the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.